Praise the Lord. Thank you all so much. God bless you. Thanks for making me feel at home and welcomed once again. I've been coming to this church, ministering revivals and weekends like this uh, since 1991. And so I feel at home, so I hope uh, you're okay with that if I just act like I'm home. Thankful for all of the family and the friends that uh, I love, that I've already seen many of you before church. It was such a joy to get to see you again. And uh, I love your pastor. You know, great leadership is hard to come by. And you've been so blessed with great leadership. And I love uh, Pastor Daryl and Faith, their, their children. And their leadership, you know, across this state and across our fellowship and then to us personally uh, is the best part. Uh, you're, you're rich with friends, aren't, aren't we? All of us. And I'm so thankful for their leadership and friendship. My wife uh, sends her love. I wanted her to be here, too, because she makes me look so much better than I really am. And she, um, our daughter, we got back Monday night from a two-week overseas revival, first week in Austria, the second week in Italy. And we got back Monday night that our daughter was in urgent care. Then she was, had to be taken over to the emergency room at a major hospital. Long story short, she's had a very, very difficult week physically and just finally was able to eat something last night for the first time since Monday. And so thank you for praying for my family and it would have just been all wrong for Susie to pack up and leave her at this stage. And you parents understand that. And thank you for, for understanding, but she sends her love. And you can take us home with you, and I promise you this is far less expensive than if I came with you. I will eat your groceries, and I will find groceries you didn't know you had and consume them. But Susie's brand new CD entitled Favorites, over all of her singing ministry, um, Susie's been asked so many times, would you record a, a project of just the classics? For example, uh, how great thou art, the anchor holds, amazing grace, his eye is on the sparrow, etc., etc. And so she went in the studio and recorded the classics. Now, anybody still love the classics or just me? I love the classics. I love all the new. I love the stuff in between. But there's never been a project, and I don't know of any in our bookstores, that just are dedicated to the classics. So if you love those songs, it really as only Susie can sing them. Uh, I trust you'll take advantage of it. There are 10. And then also my sweetheart wrote a powerful Bible study entitled Poised with Bride Mentality. The word poised is an acronym that stands for prayerful, obedient, integrous, studied, eyes focused, and D for taking dominion. It is a nine-week Bible study to prepare the church. It was really written for corporate readiness for the soon return of Jesus Christ. This Bible study has been blessed by the Lord uh, beyond our, our wildest dreams. In fact, before we could even get the physical copies to our office because of uh, social media and, and the dot-coms and so forth, they were already in 20 countries of the world. It's crazy how things can work today versus uh, some years back. And so the proceeds from the book do not even go to us. My wife said, Lord, if you'll bless this book, and I know you will, I want to put two students through Bible college. They're way to be paid. Why? Because my wife came from Jacksonville, Florida, the wrong side of the tracks. She was a bus kid. 
She didn't have the upbringing, the heritage that, that I've enjoyed. Uh, they had to go into a dangerous neighborhood to get her every Sunday and bring her in. And uh, so there were people in her church, in her Assemblies of God church there, that took her under their wing and basically financed her Bible college degree. Just people that loved her, that knew without help there was no way she could ever fulfill that dream. So she said, I want to return it. And so far, one student's way has been paid, and they just graduated, and the other one is halfway through. And so the Lord's really blessed it. They're $25 for the set. If you want something really rich, really challenging, uh, and, and powerful, uh, she's got ladies' groups doing this all over, and uh, it's just a real blessing. So I pray you'll take advantage of, of this Bible study, and I pray it'll be a blessing to you. Praise the Lord. Well, if you're ready for the Word of God, we better get moving. Is that okay? Amen. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. At the end of the service, I'll give you a little window of what we've uh, been able to do with God's wonderful grace and help. Just returned from a service. In fact, a week ago tonight, I saw more people baptized in the Holy Spirit in a single service than I have in 35 years of ministry. We are told by our missionaries, 300 people that they have an accurate count of were baptized and, re and or refilled with the Holy Spirit in that single service in an international church with over 85 nations represented. I had to be interpreted by, uh, in, by translators in the booths in the balcony of the church. It was just a, a move of God, so I am ready for what God wants to do in Bartlesville, what God wants to do in Spirit Church. I just come fresh from this powerful outpouring, uh, one like I have not ever seen, uh, and let's just believe God to do it here. Amen. Amen. One visible, viable miracle would turn a city upside down. Just one. That's the way the pattern was in the Bible. When Jesus would heal, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, free those that were in bondage, they would then go out and then pockets of revival and transformation then begin to spread all over. And I believe God wants to do it right here. In Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, I'm going to read a verse of Scripture that most of us can quote from memory. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Father, thank you for your word. Anoint us, Lord, to bring your message today and thank you in advance for the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that you will perform today. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Pastor and I were enjoying dinner together last night. We started talking about this service and I, I told your pastor, I don't come with a, a pre-planned sermon, a pre-planned uh, order of service. I learned a long time ago that if I will be prepared and will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, He will give me what I am supposed to say to each and every church uh, weekly in our travels. So as we talked about it, we started talking about my healing testimony. I've given it here before, but it's been many years. And we both just felt that the timing of it is right for right now. And so that's what I'm going to share with you. And unlike a, a sermon, if you will, or a message, I'm going to tell my story in the next few minutes, and then we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to believe God to work those miracles. I just celebrated in January of this year 35 years of being cancer-free. 
So it's not just been yesterday that it happened, but 35 and a half years now, I have walked in divine health. In the last 35 and a half years, I haven't missed a service in our ministry because of illness or sickness. I don't even know how to, to, to explain it other than when God does something well, He does it very well. Amen. And I'm grateful because of where we travel, what we do, crisscrossing many countries of this world. Without God's grace, it would be difficult to keep that kind of level of optimum health. And, and I'm so grateful for it this morning. But it was when I was 19 years old, and our family lived here in Bartlesville, attended this church uh, from 1962 to 65. Now for me, that was very, I was very young. But my brother Mike, nine years older than me, those early teenage years, oh, the memories he has and then the beautiful bride he took from this city. We're so thankful. And also his youngest son, John, took his beautiful bride. My nephew, my youngest nephew, Pastor John Perky, took his beautiful bride. Her name was Lisa Schubert. And she's from Bartlesville. And so this city, this church, so many of you have invested in the lives of this family in ways you'll never even know. But I want to, to let you know that 35 and a half years ago, everything comes to a screeching halt. We're living in Claremore during those days. And I had uh, opportunity to be on college football scholarship. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's got to be God's will for me. So that's what we'll do. The problem with it was... I knew in my heart it wasn't the will of God. I can take you to the place where God called me to preach the gospel. But yet, because my big brother was already doing that, I thought, I don't want to follow in his footsteps. I want to do something else. And so I went off to do my own thing. Miserable as I was, I went ahead uh, stubbornly and pursued it. And as soon as I got to the campus to do what I was scholarshiped and trained to do, I immediately came down with a severe, severe cough that never would subside. It just hung on and got worse and worse until I finally went to the doctor and had a physical. The doctor said, we'll call you if, if, if there's any issues, any problems. And I'm thinking, they'll prescribe a, something. I'll pick it up at the pharmacy. Life will go right on. But when the phone did ring, the doctor said, Mark, I'm sorry to call you on your Christmas break with uh, very uh, negative news. We have found several large black masses the size of golf balls that have filled your chest cavity. There are two clusters of mass, one near the heart, another near uh, against the lung. And this was explaining some of the physical symptoms that I won't bore you with unnecessary details. But rapid heartbeats, irregular heartbeats, shortness of breath, and then just this constant nagging, irritating cough. And if you've ever coughed very long, it absolutely zaps you of all strength quickly. As strong and as young as I was, my strength was reduced uh, drastically because of this. So I, I, I look at my parents after this call because the doctor then said, I've taken the liberty to have you admitted at St. John's in Tulsa. Two of the finest specialists in this part of the country have agreed to take your case from here. They are awaiting your arrival. One phone call, one email, one message can, can alter and change your life's course. And it was about to change ours. And I packed a little overnight suitcase thinking, well, this, this won't take long. Never really grasping and, or knowing what was really happening. Got to the hospital, met the doctors, met the oncologist, met the chief surgeon, all of these wonderful men, both of now which are retired. And um, they 
ran extensive tests the next several days. And I'm thinking, once again, they're going to redo everything that's kind of been done, maybe a few more tests that they're able to perform, and, and, and life's going to go right on. I'm going to be right back in the game really quickly. And then on a Wednesday night, which is church night, my parents came over after they finished leading the, the worship, as they always did for all those years. And while I'm waiting for them to arrive about 8 o'clock or so, doctor walks in sets at the, uh, the foot of the bed and brings pictures and, and test results. And he said, I'm going to go through all of this again with your parents, but I just want you to know what we're dealing with. And so kind of surprisingly, I looked at him and I, I sat up and fluffed the pillows up behind my back. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, Mark, I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay it out. You have cancer of the lymph nodes called lymphoma. And then he started down that road of explanation of what lymphoma was. At 19, I didn't know much about it. What little I knew, I was very limited, of course, in my knowledge of it. He went through it, explained it, and he said, without a miracle. Now, when he said the word miracle, that's a buzzword for those raised in Pentecost. That's a word that we're familiar with, we're comfortable with. That word is just is a part of our DNA, but he wasn't talking about a miracle from the Lord. He was talking about medically speaking. He said, without a miracle, he said, this cancer has been spreading like wildfire. Then he showed me the pictures. My lungs looked like a man's lungs who had smoked two or three packs of cigarettes a day, he said, for 30, 40 years. He showed me the clusters of mass attacking the vital organs of heart and lungs. In other words, I was in trouble. And now I could see it. And he said, without a miracle, he said, Mark, you have three to six months to live. That's not the way you expect to spend your Christmas break with your family. And then my parents soon came in, and when he told my mom and dad, they literally went from their chairs along the wall down onto the floor on their knees, and they kind of scooted over and laid their arms across me on the bed and just wept when they heard those words that he had just spoken to me a few moments before. And I remember thinking, why are they struggling so much? I'm the one that's got the problem. But when I had my own children, I understand completely. I have a 30-year-old son, a 20-year-old daughter, and two grandchildren. And let me tell you, I understand now how they must have felt. And just this week, being in the emergency room with my daughter, when she was really, really close to, to, to being admitted to the hospital, my mind was going back of how only a parent can feel when it's your child and not someone else's that's in a difficult situation. So the doctor said, we want to do two surgeries in the morning. He said, the cancer has spread like wildfire so rapidly uh, that radiation or chemo is not going to help us at this point. But he said, I am the chief surgeon here at St. John's, and I'm only one of two physicians in Tulsa that is qualified to do the following surgery. And um, I, I was thinking, you know, isn't there a pill for this, you know, we could, we could take. And he said, we want to make an incision here, create a large opening. We're going to go inside, do a, what they call a frozen section, send a, a piece of, those, of that mass or tumor, cancer, to pathology. Uh, you know the process, and then, and then come right back after closing that incision. He said, now this next surgery uh, is the challenge. He said, we're going to make an incision that begins from the middle of your stomach, and the incision will wrap all the way around to the other side. 
We'll need to break some of the ribs on your right side, and we will go in and spend several hours going after cancerous mass. But the reason he said without a miracle, you would have three to six months to live because the cancer had already attached itself to and was attacking the vital organs of heart and lungs. And then it would even spread beyond that. So we needed a miracle to say the least. My parents finally left about 11 o'clock that night to make the little drive from there back to Claremore and, and then back again early in the morning. And it, we were just all stunned. My brother Mike, Mike and Mary were evangelists at the time. They were in Grand Junction, Colorado. Their home at the time was in Bartlesville. And they were in Grand Junction, Colorado. This was early January. And they had had a blizzard that came through the Denver, Colorado area where they were in revival. And they could not get out of their hotel parking lot to make the all-night drive to get back. So they're stuck in Colorado with several feet of snow in the parking lot. And we're talking by phone. Mike's praying for me. And he had so many pastors and other men and women of God come by and see me and call me. If I said some of their names, you would know them. And uh, but sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we get to a point where we've done all we can do. You can't just write a check and fix it. You, you can't just make a call and get some assistance to fix it. Sometimes only God can bring that help you need. And that's where we were. You couldn't, you couldn't write a check. You couldn't just get some help. You couldn't get some advice. This was something that only God could take care of. And when he told me about the three to six months, I did the math and I thought, without a miracle, I'll never even see my 20th birthday. I'll die a teenager. And then Satan starts his trickery. Then he comes because he's a liar. And the Bible says he's the father of lies. And he, he, the truth is not in him. So then he starts coming and sowing these seeds of lies and defeat and death. And I mean, the battle was on. I, I got up out of that bed, even through much pain and discomfort. And I started walking around that room and, and um, I started binding the enemy, uh, praising the name of Jesus speaking the word of God, claiming the promises of God. I'm, I'm literally at 19, as I go back and recall it, I was in such a battle for my life, such a fight. Because if you lay down, you're going to die. If you give up, the enemy will overwhelm you. And We're not called to be uh, the ones who are overcome. We are the overcomers through the greater one who lives on the inside of us. And so instead of being on the defense, which I understood two words pretty well at that young age, offense and defense, I'm not going to be on the defense, but I'm going to be on the offense and come with the word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of the lamb. These are offensive, aggressive weapons that we use to counterattack those uh, lies and attacks of the Well, that's a whole other sermon, but nevertheless, the battle was on. At 11 o'clock, I called my dad's mother, my grandma Perky there in Claremore, and she always had the ministry of an intercessor. I don't remember my mamaw teaching Sunday school class. I don't remember her in the choir. But I always remember her with some other ladies going back to a back room and shutting the door. And they'd pray down that fire we, we, we referred to this morning. I called her at 11 o'clock and I said, uh, need you to pray. She said, I've been waiting for your dad to call me. What's going on? Well, my parents were having trouble getting home. They would, be, they would begin to weep. <laughs> then they'd pull over and kind of get it together and drive a little more. And we didn't have the cell phones and everything. 
And so I told my, my mom all the story. She said, I've got to go. I'm going to pray. I'll see you in the morning. The, the conversation was short. When she started praying, I interviewed her in her home after the miracle. She said, when you called, she said, I just felt the spirit of a warrior come over me. And uh, she said, I began to do battle. And so she walked up and down the hall of her little two-bedroom frame house, one bath. And uh, she went in and out of the bedrooms in the kitchen. She's walking and praying and interceding as those old saints know how to do. And then she said, the Lord spoke to my heart to stand on his word. So she said, I, I kept praying, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. I come standing on the authority of your word your word declares and she said i knew i was praying scripturally correct doing it the right way but she said i just kept feeling two times then three times just that still small voice just was just giving me an instruction stand on my word so finally she said all right so she took the family bible on the coffee table in that little living room put it down on the floor walked over now, if you knew her this wouldn't surprise you but she stood on that bible to Isaiah 53, opened it up to the promise we read, put it on the floor, stood on top of it. It's a little after 11 sometime. She was on that Bible in that, in that posture praying until 6 in the morning. Almost 7 hours. At that time, she was in her middle 70s. We have young couples that can't come around an altar and hang out for 5 minutes and get a touch of God on their life and on their family and a passion that will flow over to their children. But yet she was willing to obey the Lord. Now she didn't do this before and she never did this again so that you won't think she was odd for God. But let me tell you, she also understands the importance of obedience. To get something you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. It is a true principle upon God's word. So she stood there, she prayed, when she finished, she was shocked at the time, and she realized that they were coming to get me about 5.30. She was going to miss getting to see me, so all of this rush now. But what she didn't know was while she was having this unusual, the only time in her life, prayer meeting of this kind, the presence of the Lord while she was praying in Claremore was filling my hospital room in Tulsa. The presence of the Lord came in that room, and it was so obvious. I sat up and tried to see what I could feel. Didn't see anything. But yet the presence of the Lord was right here at the foot of the bed along that wall. You know, the rooms are quite small. And uh, I didn't know what to do, what to say, how to respond. I just felt the presence of the Lord then began to come over here. And then up to the foot of the bed, then I could feel his presence over here. Like someone was walking around the bed. Didn't understand it, didn't know what was happening other than I know the presence of God and I knew where it was, but that's all I knew. Finally, after quite some time, the Lord's presence only stopped moving that I could tell one time here at the head of the bed on my right shoulder, the Lord began to deal with me about my rebellion. What was your rebellion? I knew I was called the ministry, but I let excuses speak for me. And so I repented at that moment. See, the greatest miracle wasn't really even the healing for me. Is I had to get my heart right with God. 
The greatest of all miracles is not the miracle you might be thinking you need today. The greatest miracle is your heart right with God. Salvation is the greatest of all miracles. Supersedes every other thing that you need God to do. And even though I was not away from God or, or in a backslidden condition, my heart was rebellious to what he called me to do. And let me tell you what, God had my undivided attention. And I repented. And then I felt a hand lay on my chest like this. And I looked up to see maybe what member of the graveyard shift had slipped into my room, but there was no one in the room, and yet I could feel a hand very large, much bigger than mine. I could feel the heel, the palm, the fingers, and a thumb. This hand that I felt laying on me, I couldn't see it, but I could feel it like I feel mine now, was warm to the touch, a few short seconds, and the hand was, was no longer there. The presence of the Lord was out of the room, and... Uh, this, this peace just kind of swept over me. You can't even put it into words. I took a deep breath and, and fell asleep. When I'm awakened, it's, it's time to get prepped for surgery. And I do everything they tell me to do. Now, I will tell you, they need to redesign the hospital gown. <laughs> Can I get a witness? I mean, the way they've designed those, you've got something to cover the front, but the barn door stays open in the back. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, so anyway, I forgot that. So I got out, I got that, that on like they gave me and I got out to, to where my bed was to get on the bed and I keep thinking, who's turned the air conditioning on in January in Oklahoma? And, and I crawled up on that bed and mooned my entire home church that was packed into the end of that corridor there to pray for me. Just a little funny thing that happened. And so I get... Uh, on the bed, I've, I've gone through the prep sheet, the list of what I'm supposed to do, and now the bed starts moving. It's going to be about a 10 to 11 hour total procedure. I will be, after this sur surgeries, I will be in intensive care for quite some time, on and on. And then as we're going down the hall, there was a short delay because of the surgeons. He had something else he had to do early that morning, another emergency or something. So we're a little delayed, which gave my grandmother a chance to get there. I hear this voice, hold on there, buddy. She was talking to the staff who's taking the bed, you know. And I just looked up, and I'm, I'm real drowsy. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be awake that much longer. They'd already administered something for me. And, and I looked at those, those two men, and I said, it's, it's my mamma. You better mind her. <laughs> and so they stepped away. She stepped in, and here's what she said, and then we will pray. She said, I've asked the Lord to touch you. She said, I've been with him all night. Now, no one knew about her unusual experience. I hadn't said anything about what I felt that I just described. That None of these things had been said. And she said, I asked the Lord to fill your room with his presence. She said, just answer yes or no, and I'm going to go join the family in the waiting area. And I said, yes. She said, I asked the Lord to, to walk around your bed and minister to you. She said, I asked him to deal with your heart about the calling on your life. I said, he did. She said, I asked him to take his right hand that was nailed to the cross for you. And she took her little Cherokee Indian hand, light brown skin, white hair, and she put her hand on me and she said, did he touch you like this? And when I said yes, all I heard was that Pentecostal heritage come out. And she just began to, not loudly, but quietly.
quietly began to pray in the spirit. And she just walked away. Didn't say another word. Just walked away. I could hear her steps as she walked away. And they stepped back in. The bed started moving. I, I remember just barely seeing the, the, the steel doors supposed to be leading back, I guess, to the operating area. But I don't remember anything beyond it. When I'm awakened, I'm not in intensive care. It's not at the end now of a day. It's after a short time. I'm awakened and I had the first surgery. I'll always have this ugly scar just below my shirt collar line. And I'm, I'm, I've got swelling because of that. I only have a whisper. My dad and my grandmother, his mother, step down, lean over and say they couldn't find a single trace of cancer. Every mass was gone. Every place was gone. Every cluster of mass was gone. There was one piece of scar tissue right here where one of the tumors was. But other than the scar tissue, they couldn't find. I remember the hot tears flowing. I had no voice to say anything with. You know, after the anesthesia, you're in and you're out. And then my dad came back down. Boy, I miss him. He passed away uh, four years ago this month. And um, when dad leaned down, he kissed me. He's always been really affectionate with his boys. He kissed my cheek, and then I, I, I whispered in his ear, would you be disappointed in me if I would forget about the scholarship and go to Bible college? I said it in a whisper. He got back down and whispered in my ear. He said, while you were in surgery, I called CBC. I put down a deposit. There's a room waiting. <laughs> they were just waiting for me to come in line with what I was supposed to do with my life. And ladies and gentlemen, I've had optimum health um, ever since. And I've, I've laid hands on the sick in 22 countries of the world. I've watched the Lord heal the sick. I've watched him open the blinded eyes. I've watched him take a lady who was paralyzed from the waist down, no feeling or movement in her lower extremities. And I watched her family one night in Vienna, Austria, tear away these Velcro straps that were holding her down to a gurney and her to walk across that building. And the church went nuts. I don't know about you, but let's believe God for the impossible, for the miraculous, because there's nothing he can't do. What's impossible with man becomes possible with God. Is it true? Amen. Father, we love you this morning. We're so thankful for the privilege once again of sharing the testimony that you've given us. What a joy it is today, Lord, to come back to my roots here in Bartlesville today and to once again give you glory and praise for what you've done. Your grace is sufficient. Lord, I pray today for miracles, signs, and wonders in the name of Jesus. Pastor and I discussed how we would do the end of this service, and here's what we're going to do before we pray. Pastor's going to come, and then we're going to pray right after he comes, but your support of this ministry today will help us to do the following. We just concluded our 79th Overseas Crusade. For the last five years, God gave us a mandate to go monthly and spend a week to 10 days monthly in one of these international cities as we're seeing revival come across Europe. And just a few nights ago, I wanted to have the video ready that a professional company put together. It's not quite ready. I wanted to show it today. 
But there's, there's pictures of me laying hands on former Muslims that had been saved and now baptized in the Holy Spirit. All over Europe, you'll not see it on your news, but it's happening. In Germany, our ministry is coming alongside a church and we're going to purchase a former Aldi's grocery store, turn it into an outreach center for all the Muslims that are getting saved that you won't see on the news tonight. There is a revival among Muslims, but you also see the dark side. You also see the negative side that's very real. But your gifts today for this ministry will help us. We've never... Given ourselves more and our resources more to this effort than we have now. I want Pastor to come, receive this, and then we're going to come right back and pray in just a quick moment. Thank you for your help. Thank you for sowing the very best seed that you can. Uh, we appreciate you and love you. <laughs> 